Welcome to Audio Judo. I'm Kyle. And I'm Matthew. Hello. And this week, we are talking about bare naked ladies. Hell yeah, we are. It hey. Is, it is just what a gay man always wants to talk about, bare naked ladies. <laughs> That's what I figured you'd say. I am so excited to talk about all their... Parts? Parts, and the, the upper parts, and the lower parts, and just all of the parts. Oh, I'll give you some ana- uh, ana- uh, anatomical terms oh, later. Oh, okay. Oof. Uh, and an anatomical That was a mess. Welcome to Audio Judo. Yeah. We're members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, home of the first HD podcast. Pantheon is a group of music-related podcasts, all in one location. Go to pantheonpodcasts.com and check out some more options. It does end with an S. That's why I was very sibilant I, I heard. about that. Sibilant. So today we're headed back to the 90s. Yes. An era that we clearly neglect on this show to some degree. Yes. I took a little inventory of our episodes, and mm. even the 90s episodes we have done focused on the very early 90s. We have yet to deal with an album specifically from the 95 to 2000 range. Really? Yes, we've covered a, a couple in our multi-album episodes, okay. but not one by itself. Hmm. And that changes today. Quick synopsis. Hmm. Something we'll talk about uh, during the track by track, I'm sure, is uh, this was the album that both made the band mm-hmm. and, in my opinion, also broke the band at the same time. Okay. Uh, sometimes too much of something isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, you get everything you want and you have to pay the consequences at some point. And I believe that's what they eventually had to do. Hmm. So, Bare Naked Ladies, alternative rock band formed in 1988 from Ontario, Canada, known most for a song off this record, One Week, that we'll talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, And for our younger fans, probably most known for the theme song to Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. They had varying degrees of success uh, success through the early 90s with their debut album, Gordon, and subsequent studio releases. Uh, It wasn't until their live record, Rock Spectacle, released in 1996, when that began to gain some traction in the States, and their older catalog began to sell to some degree. The band was originally just a duo, Ed Robertson, guitars and vocals. Uh, Stephen Page, also vocals, some guitar. In 1990, they added Tyler Stewart and uh, the brothers Cregan, Jim Cregan and Andy Cregan, on bass and keyboards, respectively. In 1995, Andy Cregan left the band uh, to pursue other interests, and they added Kevin Hearn. And this is the configuration of the band for Stunt which is what we're talking about. Yeah, I don't think we said that, did we? Today. No, we didn't. <laughs> so we should probably mention it. We were talking about Bare Naked Ladies. We were Bare talking Naked about Ladies. the album Stunt, yes. Stunt, 1998 record. We, we were a little stunted on mentioning that. Stunt, yes, that was poor. That was, uh, <laughs> that was poor of us. Yeah, that's okay. So I had known about Bare Naked Ladies for several years by the time this record was released. Fortunately, uh, where I grew up, uh, we had access that a lot of people didn't have. So growing up in the metro Detroit area... Uh, we had proximity to Canada, and therefore Canadian-based radio stations coming out of Windsor oh. were available to us. So there was a station there called 89X, 89.1 on your your radio dial. This was the first alternative rock station that I knew of, and it was great to have that kind of constant exposure to music that was considered alternative and that you would otherwise have to track down on your own or rely on your friends uh, to tell you about. Uh, So it was very unique. To signal themselves to the world, 89X's very first song they played was Stop by Jane's Addiction. So anyone who knows Jane's Addiction knows that one of the lines is, uh, turn off that smokestack and that goddamn radio. (laughs) This played 
because Canadian broadcast laws aren't as severe as the states. So no editing. <gasps> oh my God. So we were going to be able to listen to these alternative songs the way they were recorded. And that was a big deal for us because you're hearing you're hearing the way the songs are are meant to be heard and yeah. you're not having, you know, the edited versions for whatever reason. FCC. Because screw the FCC. FCC. Uh-oh. Are they coming? They're coming. Oh, They're breaking shit. down the door. That sucks. I know, right? Uh, anyway, so I first heard Bare Naked Ladies when they released their debut album, Gordon, in 1992. Uh, there were a few songs they played on the radio, namely Enid and Be My Yoko Ono. Both very good songs. And If I Had the Ubiquitous, If I Had a Million Dollars. Yes. I liked it. You know, I thought they were quirky. It was fun, but I wasn't like blown away by it. There were tons of bands like at that time that I kind of felt that way about. Mm -hmm. Good, but not great. Good enough to listen to on the radio, but not great enough for me to invest $15 to get a CD. You know? So I was content to listen to them when it popped up on the radio. Yeah. And by the time I heard, you know, really heard of them again, I had got married. I had moved to Denver and started my life. Heather had literally just had our oldest son, Christian. It was like early December 1996, and I was out shopping for Christmas presents, and I liked to go to the record stores because they had cool gifts. They always had like gift sets, yeah. movie sets, and stuff like that. And Rock Spectacle was there on one of the displays, and I thought, you know, why not? So I bought it and listened to it, and I was like hooked because it sounded so much different than what I had heard before. They played with this kind of joy and this improv element that kind of became their thing for a long time. And it was really fun to listen to. This time it seemed like live fun as opposed to like studio fun. Yeah. Uh, as an aside, do you know the origin of the uh, band? Yes. You do? But I didn't write it down now that you asked me that. I remember reading it the other day and thinking, I should make a note about that. And you did. And I just looked at my notes and I did not make a note about well, that. Well, there's a couple of different explanations. So let's see. I know that it was like spontaneous, right? Because somebody called on the phone and was like, yeah, do they, you want to open for, I can't remember band. You'll, you'll have all these notes. Well, they named, they named themselves for a, a charity gig, basically. It was like a one-off charity gig. Someone said, hey, you should, you should play this gig. We don't have a name. Well, just name yourself. And so they decided to keep it. That's that's what the story is. But we heard I remember hearing a story on 89X years ago about how this how this probably really went down as opposed to a charity gig. So mm -hmm. they were set to perform at a bar in Toronto and they needed a surefire way to get people in the door and fill the place. And Ed said, I know that if we put on the marquee bare naked ladies tonight, <laughs> we will fill the place. <laughs> so they put on the marquee, Bare Naked Ladies, tonight, because no one's going to turn that down. <laughs> and they filled the place. Perfect. So every time you put on a marquee, Bare Naked Ladies, tonight, people are showing up. Fills the place up. Right? People are going to show up. I do know that it caused some controversy, controversy too, because there was apparently a big billboard that was across the street from like the state house in Ontario or whatever. I'm sorry, I don't know what it's actually <laughs> called in Canada, uh, but- there was a uh, some city buildings or whatever. A parliament, dude. Parliament, excuse me. <laughs> there were some uh, city offices or buildings, and they had a big billboard that said "Bare Naked Ladies" on it. And somebody in the office was offended and asked oh, them yeah. to take it down. And it turned into this big thing where it turned into this big fight. And 
it it was one of the reasons why they blew up too. Right? Free publicity, exactly. It was all over the newspapers. It was on TV. You know, people were reporting this bare naked ladies is just a band. Ugh. No, but it's good though. That I yeah. mean, that's if it's that memorable, people are going to be like, "Oh, I'm so mad about that." Mad about <laughs> what? Bare naked ladies. What? Bare naked what? You know, when uh, when this album came out, when Stunt came out, yes. I was in middle school. And since this was kind of, I know, I'm sorry. Sorry, everybody. Damn it. I mean, I was very old and near retirement. That's better. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was in middle school and every month they would send out a uh, this, this newsletter and some poor secretary had to Xerox it because this was pre-email. You know, I want 500 of them on Goldenrod and 500 of them on Cobalt. Canary. Yeah. Okay. 1,000 yellow. (laughs) Yeah. They would send out this newsletter once a month. And most of it was just, you know, hey, here's things that are happening in school. Here's this. Here's that. Whatever. But they always had this little notes section in the background that was like, hey, you know, we've noticed recently uh, a lot of kids are bringing, uh, you know, I don't know, pogs to school. And that needs to stop. Sweet. Uh, you know, it's it's distracting. You need to keep those at home or keep them off school property. What? I got pogs upstairs. They did stuff like that all the time. But Bare Naked Ladies actually made one of the newsletters. And they specifically said, they were like, you know, the name of this band uh, is Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, so we're going to, we just want to bring it to parents' attention that there's a band with this name. So that if you hear your children talking about it, uh, they might be talking about the band, but you should have an open conversation with them about it uh, to make sure what they're actually talking about. Hmm. I thought that was hilarious. This is time. your school? This is my middle school. In Utah? In Utah. Wowzers. And I was like, huh. Huh. Very interesting. But they would they would do stuff like that all the time. It well, was very... Um, well, good for them for getting out in front of it. Yes. But and I think they did it for the wrong reasons, honestly. Probably. They were like, bare naked ladies. That sounds mm. vulgar and disgusting. We, we need, need to, to bring stop it up. That. We need to stop that right now by bringing it up many times. Yes. So, so the the band would utilize the success yeah. of a rock spectacle uh, to drive them in the studio as they recorded Stunt. Stunt was rec- recorded uh, in February and March of 1988 in both Austin, Texas and Ontario. What did I say? I think you said 88. Son of a bitch. 1998. Sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't want people to think it was recorded 11 years before it was released. Well, it was released on was July released. 7th, 1948. Wow. Oh, wait. The time travel. What did I? Album. Damn it, uh, Kyle. Do you have any stats on this record? I've got a few. All right. This was their most successful album. Entered the U.S. charts at number three. It sold over four million units by the end of its chart charting run. Oh. So their fourth studio album, the single "One Week," obviously uh, became the band's breakthrough single in the U.S. by hitting number one, uh, selling over five million copies, and it stayed on the charts at number one for one week. Well, that's ironic, right? Uh, It also reached number five in the UK and sort of helped revitalize their career in Canada as well. Funnily enough, uh, One Week did not get as much radio play in Canada. A lot of the other tracks on this album did. Correct. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. So I mentioned that Kevin Hearn had joined the band for this Mm -hmm. particular record. He actually joined for the previous album's uh, tour, Born on a Pirate Ship. Uh, He was able to record Stunt, but during the recording was diagnosed with leukemia. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, so he didn't tour, but he did appear in a couple of the music videos. And uh, good news, he has since made a full recovery and is still a very active member of the band. Good for him for making a recovery. Exactly. Bad uh, for him for still being a member of the band. I think that's uh, – I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where this – I think that's where this episode's going to head. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the cover art, uh, do you have anything about that? Because I do. Uh, it's a weird image. It's like – 
It almost looks like it was cut out of several different pieces and put together. Uh, it's created by a graphic designer and artist named John Roman. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't find a whole lot of information about him. Um, but I know that he is also the illustrator of a children's book called uh, Stick Boy. Yes. And yes, I, he is. I have not read it. I because I came out after I was a child. So well, John Ruman was very busy around this particular time and won the Juno Award, which is the again the Canadian equivalent of the Grammys mm. in nineteen ninety eight. However, not for this record. He won it for a Tom Cochran record that was released that year as well. Oh. Uh, he's also worked with uh, besides Baird Naked Ladies. His work with Sarah McLaughlin as well. Uh, and is currently the senior vice president of creative design for Network Entertainment, which is a huge uh, Canadian artist label that has uh, Sarah McLaughlin, uh, Bare Naked Ladies, and a bunch of other prominent Canadian artists on it. So he's quite busy. Huh. Well, good for him. And he's got a pretty lengthy catalog. Yeah. Of of uh, album designs and other creative work. So so he's busy. I, for some reason, I had a lot of trouble figuring out, like, there were a few uh, few locations there I could find works that he had done, like other album covers and things. Yeah. But I couldn't find a really strong, like, uh, internet presence. His so, LinkedIn popped up, weirdly enough. Oh. And I'm like, well, this can't be it. him. And then I, like, clicked on it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's definitely him. I did not check his LinkedIn. Well, so. I went right to his LinkedIn. Was, I don't know why you didn't mistake. go to, why you went to the, why didn't you go to the, LinkedIn, right? World's most popular social media site, and I didn't check it first. Come on, what the I don't know why you there? didn't. So, uh, so yeah, we're I'm ready to go to the track by track. Well, you got I, something? I got a couple got more? more things. Oh, we please talk, do. We got to talk about a couple of the fun credits on this album. Oh, okay. Ed Robertson, uh, one of his uh, credits was Employee of the Month, July 1985. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reference that. Yeah, in the track by track comes comes up later. Mm-hmm. Several people are credited as a uh, Dans la Maison. Yes. Which will also come up, I'm sure, in the track by track. They're in the house. Uh, Natasha Herbert is uh, credited as Parlez Francais. Yes, she does speak of the French. Sue Drew, the expert violin tuning. <laughs> the party was recorded live at Jimmy C's birthday. And the Holla 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 was sampled by Don Garbutt. Yeah, I don't know where it's from, though. Yeah, it didn't say. I couldn't find any Yeah, I know it's a sample, it, but, but I, don't know, I don't know where it's from. Should we do this track by track? Let's do it. It's been one week. Since what? Since, uh... Since you looked at me? Since I looked at you. (laughs) Just the opening line to this song, that it's been... You can say that, and people immediately know the whole song. They know what it is. It's far and away the band's biggest hit. Oh, yeah. And also, only two minutes, 49 seconds. Mm -hmm. Very short song. It is a tight little number, if it, you know... Yeah. If you know what I mean. Written uh, not as the duo, written just by Ed Robertson, uh, who also rapped all the lyrics on this. Yes. So in the summer of 1998, this song was ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. It was literally everywhere, freaking everywhere. And it benefited greatly from a Mick G directed music video. Yes. That seemed to be on MTV every hour or so. Like you said, written by Ed. When he was asked if the rap parts had anything to do with the rest of the song, his answer was absolutely not. <laughs> he said he could tell you how the rap verses related to each other, but had nothing to do with the main part of the song. So before we get into that, I can't remember if it was you, Kyle, or somebody else, but I remember hearing some sort of theory about this song yes, and that it was really about a guy who murdered his wife. Was that you that told me that? Yes. We talked about this at work. Okay. Well, you're laying on me because I don't... Uh... Okay. So several years ago on the internet, this uh, theory came up that this song is about a guy 
who murdered his wife or girlfriend and then kept the corpse in the living room. And he was slowly going crazy with the guilt of having murdered her. So all the lyrics like, it's been one week since you looked at me. So it means he murdered her a week ago. It's been three days since the afternoon. So it's three days since, you know, he he started, he realized, oh my God, I murdered you. <laughs> he killed her with a golf club. That's why he's talking about the golf. He's got to get new golf clubs with a set with tiny nubs. Right. Because they're not flying off the backswing. Exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and he's sitting there, you know, trying to go about his life, but racked with his guilt while this corpse rots away in the living room. It sort of fits. It's one of those things where, you know, um, I don't, there's a word for this and I can't think of it, where you, you can apply all these things to something and you can say, absolutely, it's about this guy murdering. Look at all these facts. He's singing about this. He's singing about, so like you know, Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz kind exactly, of thing. Exactly. Yes. Exactly the same type of thing where maybe, but actively the band has said, no, it's not. Both Ed and Steven have both said, no. That was not the intention of what the song was about. Ed being the writer obviously has, in my opinion, the final say. And he said in an interview a few years ago, he's like, it's an interesting theory. I don't think that it's true. (laughs) Yeah, because (laughs) which which sort of led more to that wasn't his exact phrasing, but it was something along that same line. And I was just like, huh. You don't think it's true, but it was, it was something similar to that. All right, but, so I don't know how much validity there is to that, but you know everybody everybody has an opinion, you know. Okay, so as the story goes, he wanted to write a rap part for the song that somehow related to the song, and yes. he couldn't do it. He tried repeatedly, and it just kept sounding like garbage. So Stephen Page told him that he needed to approach it like they did on stage every night. Uh, Like I had mentioned earlier, they like to improv a lot. And there was a section of their show every night that they would improv a song, just kind of make it up. And that's what Ed did. He set up a video camera. He slowed the song down, ended up recording four minutes of complete and total improv rap. And he sent the video to Paige, who told him, don't change a word (laughs) of it. So he edited it a little, moved some things around, and arrived at two minutes of rapping. And the liner notes of the record... There is another verse that is not yes. included in the song. It's got some Star Wars references. Yes, there, it right? does. But broken down, the rap part is just rapid fire Nonsense. pop culture references. Yeah. Sailor Moon, Kurosawa, oh, Harrison Ford. I have extensive notes, so we'll get to this in just a minute. Oh, really? There is a quote that I think is very fitting here. Okay. Uh, this is from a Newsweek interview uh, Ed Robertson did. Uh, the interview was done by uh, Zach Schoenfeld. And uh, Zach asks, uh, when you wrote One Week... Were you like, this song is going to be going to hit number one. This is going to be our biggest hit ever. And Ed said, no, one week was the last song I submitted for the record. And I didn't even think it would be on the record proper. I thought it might be a bonus track or a B-side. And Zach says, tell me about the moment you wrote one week. And Ed replies, uh, I improvised it uh, because I couldn't finish it. I had the structure of the choruses and the idea of this relationship breakup. I kept trying to write these rap verses and they were always crappy. Uh, Stephen Page suggested, why don't you just freestyle them? The stuff you freestyle every night on stage is better than the stuff that you've been trying to write. I improvised four verses literally in a minute and a half. Then I edited the four verses into two. Then I sent in the demo. Uh, The demo was just an acoustic guitar, a drum loop, and me singing the song. Sue Drew from our record company called back right away and said, we're going with this as the lead single. I laughed. I thought she was making fun of me. I thought she was saying, this is the stupidest fucking song I've heard in my life. And then there you go. Number one. That's how it works. Yeah. So the the rapid fire rap parts, you know, it's the part that everyone remembers. Yes. And I think it's the part that quite literally 
broke them apart eventually. So there's <laughs> there's no doubt that this song was responsible for making them comfortable, mm-hmm. for providing them with everything they and their families would probably need. However, I believe they felt an obligation then at that part to to recreate this type of song over and over for years. Hmm. So their their first few albums were exercises in various styles. Uh, the first albums had jazz, had pop, had folk, and a bunch of other like really quirky type songs. And they got progressively more ordinary with their songwriting. And when they got to this record and hit the mother load with One Week, it became a move to do it again. Case in point, the first single off the next record, called Pinch Me, had a slower sound to it. And then they inject this really quickly sung chorus because I feel like that's what we're supposed to do now. Yeah. This is what we're known for. Now. Right. And there are a number of examples of like this, you know, this in music, like Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray's most popular songs have nothing to do with what their sound is like. Maroon 5 was this really groovy, funky band. And then they had a couple hits that sounded really patterned and ordinary but those are the ones that made them a ton yeah. of money and then all of a sudden that's what they do but this one to me is the most egregious because they're such talented musicians and they were never really the same after this record they were then trying to recreate that pattern hmm. that's that's kind of how i felt about this and that kind of eventually led to ed leaving the band right he, Ro- uh, Stephen leaving i'm sorry Stephen leaving the band yes uh he had some uh, uh personal issues and ended up leaving correct yeah, to me that you I mean that that's the microcosm of that. You know, you strive forever to get this success, and you pay all these dues. You hit it with something that you really never intentioned to be the thing you wanted to hit it with, and then you feel obligated to continue to do that same thing to perpetuate it. And I, you know, it's a story as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> Bare naked ladies and the beast. <laughs> it's a story as old as time. Story as old as time. So, Kyle, you have more notes about one week? I do, yeah. All right. So, uh, I had to look up a lot of the weird uh, cultural references in this. Yes, go on. So, uh, Chalet Swiss, or Swiss Chalet, uh, is a Canadian chain of casual dining restaurants founded in 1954 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. As of 2015, there are over 200 Swiss Chalet restaurants It's in never touched a frying pan. It's never touched the frying pan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hot like wasabi. Yes. When I bust rhymes. Bert Camfort. Well, he's got the mad hits. Uh, you try to match wits. Uh, he was born as Berthold Heinrich Camfort in 1923 and passed away in 1980, sadly. He was a German orchestra leader, a multi-instrumentalist, music producer, arranger, and composer. Uh, he made easy listening and jazz-oriented records and wrote the music for a number of well-known songs, including Strangers in the Night and Moon Over Naples. Wow. Right? Very, uh, very famous. Bert Camfort. Camfort. Dans la maison. Yeah, we're in the house? Yes. French for in the house or in our home. Uh, the Smoking Man or oh, The Cigarette Man. That is a reference man. to X-Files. Indeed. He was the primary antagonist from the X-Files. Funnily enough, portrayed by Canadian actor William B. Davis, who was a formal nat- former national champion water skier and for a time held various records in older age divisions. That's pretty cool. In a conversation with Brendan Bezier, Davis stated he holds the records for tricks in his age category, adding, I did hold the slalom record until this past year, until some young whippersnapper of 65 from Ontario <laughs> took the record away from me. Hey, whippersnapper I thought that was awesome. of 65. That is awesome. Uh, tantric. 
Yes, are we you know talking what, you about know what tantric refers to? We're talking about uh, sting sex, sort of. Uh, tantra, tan- tantric sex, tantra uh, denotes the esoteric traditions of Hinduism and Buddhism uh, that co-developed most likely around the middle of the first millennium. Wow. Tantric sex, on the other hand, uh, is a slow, meditative form of sex where the end goal is not orgasm, but enjoying the sexual journey to enlightenment. Sting. Uh, 1980. Snickers. What about 1980? Ran ads which featured a variety of everyday people discussing why they like Snickers. The ads featured the jingle that said, it's so satisfying. Yes. So uh, they changed it a little bit for Just this. Just a little bit. But, uh, it still, uh, still reminds you of that. You got nothing about Sailor Moon in there? Oh, I'm getting there. Okay, there's more. I went in order of the song. There's more. Akira Kurosawa. Yes. I'm sure you're familiar with He's him. a director, yeah. Yes, 1910 to 1998. He was a Japanese film director and screenwriter who directed 30 films in a career spanning 57 years. Wow. But he is probably one of the most important filmmakers of the 20th century for sure. Sure. Possibly of all time. Uh, simply because he influenced so many other filmmakers, including famous people like Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, uh, and basically anybody who made films between 1970 and 2000. That's about right. Sailor Moon. Uh, is a Japanese shoujo manga series mm-hmm. written and illustrated by Naoko Takechi. Mm-hmm. He's got the Takuchi, boom, boom anime babes. Makes you think the wrong thing. It was originally serialized from 1991 to 1997. The 60 individual chapters were then published in 18 volumes. The series uh, follows the legendary, or excuse me, the adventures of a schoolgirl named Usagi Tsukino uh-huh. as she transforms into Sailor Moon to search for a magical artifact, the legendary silver crystal. Uh-huh. Uh, it was then later turned into an anime series that aired from 1992 to 97, and then a live action series, uh, and then a second anime series worldwide. J- take a shot in the dark. How much do you think this franchise is worth? Six billion. Thirteen billion dollars. That was way off. Boom anime indeed. Right? Last but not least. Yes. Last words of the song. Birchmount Stadium, home of the Roby. Home of Robbie. the Yeah. Uh, this refers to an annual soccer tournament held for charity at Birchmount Stadium in Scarborough, Ontario. Uh, Stephen Page and Ed Robertson have said that these are the hardest words to say in the song. The Robbie, <laughs> officially the Robbie International Soccer Tournament, began in 1967 when some area soccer fans started a boys' tournament to raise money for three-year-old Robbie Wims, who had cystic fibrosis. The tournament grew and later became a benefit for muscular dystrophy research as well. That is very cool. Very good research there, Kyle. I, I am... Scarborough <laughs> is... Where they, I, I mentioned they're from Ontario, Canada. Yes. More specifically, they are from Scarborough. No, there you go. So, hometown. Yeah. We didn't do any research about the golf clubs? I did not. I didn't, I didn't research tiny. We can't be friends anymore. I right? was afraid to type tiny nubs into Google. It's probably a good idea. Although there's a guy I follow on YouTube Whoa, called I, oh, Stumpy Nubs. Hold on. <laughs> but it's a family show. No, it really isn't. It's not. It's not a Children, family show. Children, if you're listening to this, go to bed. That's a, it's four in the afternoon. Go to bed. But that's a great uh, that's a great bit of research there, Kyle. See, Good for you. Did all my research on this song. I don't know anything about the rest of the album. I was going to say, that, are that, those are all the notes you have for that's the it. entire the rest album. Is just, I have four more blank pages, so it looks like <laughs> I'm doing stuff. Uh, I figured it. Yeah. Now, now, now we can it's go all on. been done. It's now all been it's done. all been done. Before it wasn't quite all done, now it Now it's been. all been done. All right. Uh, to flip it, this one written entirely by Stephen Page. Yeah, second single off the record. Mm-hmm. Also the highest charting single the band ever had in their native Canada. Mm-hmm. Reached number one on the RPM chart. Ooh, RPM. Page wrote this song as a response to his previous song, Brian Wilson, uh, which he believed to be too wordy. Hmm. Hmm. He wanted a simpler uh, chorus, hence the 
Woo Hoo Hoo. Right. And it's a relationship song about a couple growing bored with their relationship. I mean, it's another old time. Literally, they are as old as time. Right. The relationship is really fun at the beginning, but we reach the point where we've done it all. So what's left to do? And I, I know he plays that out as a metaphor with, you know, Roman Empire through the 30th century. Like, we've done all of this already. Yeah. You know, what? There's nothing, there's nothing left to do. Except love each other, and but there isn't a lot of fire left. It, you know, it's a really fun, straightforward tune. Here's a piece of It's All Been Done. You were wrong, I was right, you said goodbye, I said goodnight. It's all been done, it's all been done, it's all been So I have an important question for you. Yeah. So uh, in my research, I did see that this is played during uh, Detroit Red Wings games. That's right here on the uh, notes. Yeah, there you go. Uh, when they play in their home arena. Yes. Uh, is this not insulting? What? <laughs> to the Detroit Red Wings? Like, it's all been done. Fuck you guys. You're not doing anything new. It's kind Why of- Why are we a... watching this? It's already ended. I think it's kind like... of insulting to other teams. Because okay. we're like looking at, you're pointing at the 11 championship banners and going- We've already done this, we're guys. Gonna do it again. We're going to do it again. Not this year, but we're going to do it again. Not this year, because we kind of suck this year. But next year, look out, because we're back. Watch out. So I had a couple interesting notes about that. Now I have to uh, go ahead and modify that to one oh, interesting okay. note. Well, that's, um, you're welcome. So it was used as a theme song for a, uh, for a show called Baby Blues. I had that note as well. <laughs> um, so Big Bang Theory isn't their first yeah. theme song. Uh, and it's also one of the very rare instances of Ed Robertson playing an actual real guitar solo. Ooh. So that's that's good because normally it's, it's the guitar is color. It's not it's yeah. not necessarily, you know, it's not there as a point of man that guy could solo. <laughs> but it's uh it's good. All right, so the next track is "Light Up My Room." This is such a fun song. Too. It is. So now we got past those two hits, right? And the album starts to get a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. It's easy to talk about the big songs, but I love focusing on these other songs, ones that just don't get traction. Yeah. This is a great song. It's written by Ed. Talks about a guy who grew up living too close to power lines, obviously. Yeah. But the protagonist is an eternal optimist, and none of the blight of his neighborhood or the weird things he's able to do because of the power line issue <laughs> seem to get him down. He remains positive throughout the whole song. And it's so Canadian, too, and regional. So oh, he, yeah. says, uh, he says a hydro field cuts yes. through his neighborhood. I had to look that up. Well, it's basically a huge power line grid that rides in a straight line to the transformer that bisects a subdivision. Mm -hmm. Um, We had the same thing where I grew up. We called them Edison Fields or the Edison uh, because the power line or the power company back then was Detroit Edison. Ah, okay. So we just, that was the Edison. We used to play ball out there or we'd wait for it to get cold and flood some of the area with a hose and get instant ice pond. Ooh. So that's... And play hockey. So ice underneath the electric wires. We weren't really thinking about that. You know, no. when I when I wrote this, that's exactly you what mean? went through my head. <laughs> like, wait a second. Oh, did no. we really take a garden hose to a giant power line <laughs> and flood the area underneath it so we could play hockey? Huh. Nobody stopped us. Huh. huh. 
Well, yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. But yeah, those were the Edison fields, the same thing that he's talking about. So I, I did kind of wonder, and I couldn't find an answer to this, because I read that same thing about uh, people calling them Edison fields, or uh, I can't remember what the other regional one was from New York. Uh, I wonder, is, is hydro fields because it's hydroelectrically generated? Yes. Or is it because the company was called something like Canada Hydro or Ontario Hydro or something? No, I think it's, it's because it was electrically generated originally. Yes. Okay. Yes, I believe the power is generated by a hydroelectric dam. Okay. And that's just what they refer to it as. Huh, interesting. But I love the way he writes, Ed writes songs. So he has a knack for turning fairly mundane acts or situations and making them really interesting and poignant. There's a song on a previous album called uh, When I Fall, where he takes a window washer as his main character and paints this amazing visual image into a beautiful song about being satisfied with where you're at. Um, mm -hmm. There's a line from that song that, that goes like this. He says, I look straight in the mirror. I watch it come clear. I look like a painter behind all the grease, but painting's creating and I'm just erasing. A crystal clear canvas is my masterpiece. It's just the way he paints, yeah. like, hey, I'm just like a painter, except I'm erasing everything and making it clear instead of putting paint on it. So That's nice. it's just really smart writing. And this song, Light Up My Room, is very similar to that. You know, it's a pretty plain subject, just growing up in a subdivision near a power line and being okay with it because it's home. Yeah. Then he throws this little love story in there. But I think that's window dressing for, for home. I think we all have that call to home, the things we remember as kids where we felt safe and insulated. Uh, and in this song, he paints that great visual again, and here's a little piece of it right here. There's a shopping cart in the ravine. Full mountain creek is like popping ice cream. Field full of tires, it is always on fire to light my way home. There are luxuries we can't afford. But in our house we never get bored Cause we can dance to the radio station Plays in our teeth If you question what I would do To get over and be with you Lift you up over everything To light up my song has been bugging me since i started listening to this album to research that? this there is a song that was really popular on uh, like stations like alt nation on uh, sirius xm mm -hmm. a few years ago i don't know the name of it i don't know who sings it it sounds so similar to this song really the music side of it the lyrics are very different but i, I can't for the life of me remember what it's called mm. and it's been bugging me because i've been trying to find it and i'm like how do you you know, type into Google songs that sound like "Light Up My Room" by Bare Naked Ladies. I don't think you'd. Uh, uh, I don't think you'd be very successful. No, there's a few websites that are like maybe this one, but it's none of them. So mm. I'm going to put out a plea here. If somebody out there knows the song that I might be talking about, uh, email us info at audiojudo.com and let us know. Yeah, absolutely. But it was. It would have been 2018, 2019, maybe. Oh, wow. On the radio was when it was popular. And uh, I, I just remember listening to it and never, I'm sure that at some point I looked and like, oh, this is such and such a band or recognize the name of the song. I can't think of it now. Hmm. So maybe I, somebody will know. I hope they do. 
Sorry to divert there. No, it's but, okay. Uh, yeah, but I do really. This I think is probably my favorite song on this album. Yeah, it's a good song. Uh, yeah, it's a good song. And again, he paint like there's nothing that that's getting this person down. Yeah. And I don't know how much sarcasm is there with like, hey, I can I can direct the sound of the the wires vibrating yeah. in my teeth. <laughs> we can pick up a radio station on my fillings. Right. It's uh, it's just good writing. It's smart writing. Uh, I'll be that girl, but I won't be that girl. You're not going to be a girl? I'm, no. But no. that's what this song is about, right? It's I'll, about be, I'll be that if girl. If you were uh, this hot young girl. That girl? Uh, you would uh, You would wait. You would pick the nerdy guy that is apparently singing this song. You might. Over the hot jocks and the, uh, the, the popular kids. So here's the polar opposite of Ed. Mm. The song's written by Stephen Page and his longtime writing partner, Stephen Duffy. While Ed has this knack for making beautiful songs from ordinary subjects, Stephen has a way of making really cute, poppy, upbeat songs that have an undercurrent of darkness <laughs> to them. And this is very represented in their personalities. Uh, Stephen Page, like we mentioned, he would eventually leave Bare Naked Ladies in 2008 after a much publicized arrest for cocaine possession. Mm -hmm. A few, few years after that, he would reveal that he believes himself to be bipolar and had periods of depression and despair, clearly evident in the way he wrote his lyrics. Uh, they were just kind of disguised behind this pop sheen to them. So this song, as you mentioned, it's about a relationship in which uh, the guy is clearly being used by the girl and she is aware of it and completely full of herself and her looks. And he believes the only way she would ever give the attention he needs is if he was her mm -hmm. because she couldn't help but fall in love with herself. But, and it's a big, but if mm -hmm. he were her, he would treat himself exactly how she is treating him. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even matter, but it's a really great juxtaposition of roles and written very smartly. And of course, you know, that darkness comes out in one of the last lines of the song where he says, you know, when you're done with being beautiful and young, when that course is run, then come to me. Because basically I know you're a self-absorbed person, but I love you and I'll sit here and wait until you grow up and ready to act like a big person. <laughs> also, mm. first appearance of banjo in this song. Yeah. It's a nice little light I believe, strum. I by, believe that's uh, a melodica in the background at the yes. beginning too, right? Yes. He's uh, Kevin Hearn. Uh, the keyboardist, he also plays the clavinet, the melodica, and the electric guitar on this album, plus the banjo. So oh, quite accomplished uh, musician. Clearly. Do you have more about this one? I do not. But uh, That's because you wasted all of your notes on one week. I wasted all my notes on one week, hoping against hope that you would have detailed notes about everything else. Which I have some. To carry uh, this conversation. Oh you my know what, gosh, Matthew? I can't do it all. You know what, Matthew? What? Leave. Okay. Oh, wait. That's, That's the, the next, next song. <laughs> It's, it's called Leave. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a song on the album. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a breakup song, and it's almost a country song. Oh, well, it isn't a breakup song. Oh, what? you fell for that too, uh, huh? What? So this is another one of Ed's songs. So uh. I think the more you listen to Bare Naked Ladies, kind of like the Beatles, you were able to distinguish which of the two partners wrote which songs. Mm -hmm. So Ed has a very sweet, almost folk country vibe. To his songs, and Stephen has more of an edge, which is also reflected in the lyrics. So, hmm. breakup song, it is not. What? So, this song is about Ed's brother, Doug, who was killed in a motorcycle crash in 1993. Hmm. Uh, this is a very much, it's a literal song about Ed being haunted by his brother's memory. Uh, there's a song on, a, on the record 
called Who Needs Sleep that also has some elements to that as well. Mm -hmm. But he's clearly in some stage of grief here and just wants to be left alone. He literally cannot stop thinking about his brother, and that must be, you know, difficult to say goodbye because he's being basically he he. There's a line in the song that I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It's like apparitions still won't leave me alone. It's as if you never left. His brother was constantly there, and he could not grieve. He could not get past this blocker. He's a, he's said repeatedly that. This song and a song on a, a subsequent album were about that particular oh. thing. So it I does did, sound I, like a break. I did not find that in any of my research. Right? So there you go. Way to way to go, my obviously fantastic research you skills. Screwed it up there. Oh, no, so I'm sorry, nice. everybody. So, uh, but the uh, professional. <laughs> the me- the melody itself this is not particularly dark or depressing, but it's nice, and there's some really stellar slide guitar work in this song mm. too. But the subject matter, once you know what the subject is... Yeah, that definitely changes the way the song feels. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough to listen to, and it's if you know what it's about. If you don't know what it's about, it's like, hey, this is a nice little tune. And then once you find out, you're like, oh, oh. So what you're saying is research is depressing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scale mine back and just put one note down. Song, good. Uh, alcohol? Alcohol would probably solve a lot of our problems right now. Well, it's a good party time accessory. We are imbibing That's as true. we speak. This is back to Stephen Page. Mm-hmm. This is Ode to Booze. And while it is simply a song to celebrate alcohol, uh, there's clearly a relationship in crisis in this song. Yes. <laughs> he clearly states that he loves her more than he did before mm-hmm. he discovered, he discovered alcohol. alcohol. So it's intensified those feelings. So pretty dark still. One of the things that I think is most unique about this song is the weird stunted first chorus because mm. it's only two lines and then it just cuts and you hear somebody say something in the background kind of mumbly. And that's then what it I'm goes talking on. about. That's what they that's no, what that's what? small talk. Oh, that's small talk. That's, that's small what, talk. That's what they say. Yeah, I thought it was that's what I'm talking about too. And if you listen to it, I would swear up and down it's that's, that's what, what I'm, I'm talking, talking about. about. But then you listen to it again after hearing that small talk and you can hear it and them say that's small talk. Now. This could be another one of those weird lines. This could be another one of those weird lines where having someone say, no, no, it's this other thing, influences what you hear. Could be. But every lyric site that I looked at said that it's that small talk. What small talk? What are we talking about here? I think that it's uh, like at a party where you're drinking. Yeah. And then you're interrupted in your fun alcohol drinking by small talk. Oh. That's Hmm. what I take it to mean. All right. Maybe that's wrong, but... It's still a pretty dark song. So the line that I pull out of this is, for while I cannot love myself, I'll use something else. Yeah. Right? That sounds like problem territory to me. (laughs) Numbing, coping, whatever. You know? It's still a fun song, though. And it can, you know, easily be heard as a party anthem. You know, and there are parts of that song where they're like, I swear they're just yelling, chug, 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 chug. Uh, interestingly enough, yes. you know, this song was recorded naked, right? There's always one song mm-hmm. on every Bare Naked Ladies record that is recorded completely naked. From that uh, same interview with uh, by Zach Schoenfeld, uh, Zach asked, uh, you recorded the stunt song Alcohol totally naked. What brought that on? And Ed said, uh, it's funny, we don't even do it anymore. 
Uh, we used to record naked when we needed some sort of weird energy for a song, some sort of excitement or silliness, or if the song was feeling flat and we needed to take it to another place. We just needed dongs hanging out. We just needed dongs. Uh, but 30 years into playing in a band together, the sight of our naked bodies does not change the mood in the room at all. It's like we've had to move on to harder things. Uh, and Zach says, when did you retire the t that tradition? And it says probably 10 years ago. Hmm. So I think this interview was 2000. 10 2011 yeah so probably so right after stunt and maybe maroon were probably the last albums where they did this huh but uh yeah well i know they did it on maroon for sure so that that may have been that where may they, have been their last where thing. they finished it so this song was also released as a single mm -hmm. charted at number 33 on the u.s modern rock track chart so it's a minor hit was also featured in the 2008 denzel washington movie Flight, mm -hmm. most likely when his character was uh, boozing it up big time. Before he took a flight. A good movie. Pretty rough, though. Call and answer. Yes. Another Stephen Page song with the assistant of uh, Stephen Duffy, once again. This is actually one of my favorite songs off the record. Okay. Uh, it's excellent. I do like this song musically. Yeah. Uh, I think the music video is terrible. Really? <laughs> yeah. Didn't, I don't know that I ever remember seeing the music video. So the music video for this is the one that has this all the white Volkswagen Beetles. Okay, so I did the, see it. This this similar looking suburban houses. Yeah, I don't like that. It looks like somebody got like their first computer that could do video editing and took their camcorder and they're like, look, I can make it look like there's like 10 of me walking down the street. And look, you know, the neighbor's car, I can make it look like there's five of them down the street. It's a, it's Adobe Premiere 3.1. And it just looks, it did not, at the time I remember seeing it and being like, ugh. Oh, this is 98. Yeah. Oh, we were earlier than that. Yeah. And the first nonlinear edi editor with, yeah. with a weird... It's got an effects package yeah. with it. Oh, no, no, don't use it. Yeah. But it was, uh, I don't care for the music video for this, but it's a good song. I, I would agree with you that it's a very good song. That's a song that aims at uh, reconciliation. Clearly, mm -hmm. there was some sort of uh, betrayal. It was released as a single, remixed and shortened for a radio play, which is unfortunate. Mm. It is unique to the catalog because all of the vocal parts on the song were performed by Stephen Page himself. All the mm. harmonies, all the call and answer, all of the multiple tracks and the vocal work at the end is some of the very best. Here's a bit right here. Great song, right? It is. And it's uh, uh, I've seen them a few times live, and before Stephen Page left, this was this is definitely a highlight of the show because they would play it for a while. There's just such great musical energy to it, and uh, it's a, such a great song. And right there, though, there's that darkness that I was talking about, right? So it's a song about reconciliation, but that's quite the warning at the end. You yeah. know, don't fuck up again, or I'm gunning for you. 
And he's definitely leery of her because he's asking for proof. But it's, it's powerful. It's really well done. This song was included on the Ed TV soundtrack. That would also explain there are clips from Ed TV in, in the, the music video. video. <laughs> and was also performed as a duet with Alanis Morissette when they co-headlined a tour in 2004 called the O Natural Tour. Hmm. So that would have been cool to see. Like, Stephen and Alanis, that bare naked ladies and fully clothed Alanis Morissette. Yes, that would have been uh, all right. In the car, here it is, Kyle. It's the fuck song, or, or almost fuck song, the mutual masturbation song. <laughs> <laughs> this is really where I think bare naked ladies excelled for years and years. It's a wonderfully lush pop song but it has a very unique sound to it it's almost spent like flamenco mm-hmm. very unique style and it's executed so well this is another one of my favorites it's clearly story of an adolescent love affair probably one of the first for both of the parties involved the, the first fumblings of love right she lives with her mom so they can't make out uh, they can make out and fool around in the basement, but usually if they want to go further, they have to go into the car. Yeah. And it pretty actu- it pretty accurately captures those emotions. No love there, you know, just lust and adolescent hormones and a lot of fear. Like, if you listen to it, there's a ton of fear oh, in yeah. both of these people. They clearly want to have sex, but they are probably terrified of it to some degree. So it's just, you know, mutual masturbation. And I feel like that's a bit of a double entendre. It is mutual masturbation in the way you would imagine, but also the kind of vocal masturbation of going through the motions, so to speak, Hmm. to come up with excuses as to why they're ready to go all the way or not ready to go all the way. It's a lot of fooling around, you know. And in true Stephen Page fashion, it takes that dark turn at the end where he explains the dream of him having sex with the girl's mom. (laughs) <laughs> and the girl realizing years later, she listened to the song on the radio that he was singing about her. Yeah. That's just great. That, it's uh, that's, That to me, that's the part of the song that I like the most, where it's like, oh yeah, because that probably, it probably really is about some girl yeah. that he fooled around with. I, well, I guarantee and it is. somewhere out there, she exists She's and going, is like, oh fuck, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's we did me. do that in the back of his car, didn't we? Yeah. He did stick his tongue in my ear. He wanted to have sex with my mom. Oh. <laughs> she had a peg leg. Hey, people with peg Nothing legs wrong with that. are cool people. Nothing wrong with having a peg leg. But, uh, you know, I knew a man with a wooden leg named Smith. <laughs> That's it? You're not going to... No. <laughs> You're supposed to ask me what was the name of his other leg. Oh. What was the name of his other leg, Kyle? There you go. That's a horrible joke, and I apologize to the people of the world for that one. Yeah, well, they have to listen to it. So it's really smart writing again. Thanks, Mary Poppins. And this has another one of those rare Ed Robertson guitar solos. So two on the same record. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Rare, but common on this record. Never is enough. Are you sure? Yes, never is enough. Uh, This song, I think, uh, definitely hits home because I feel this way about a lot of things in life. (laughs) <laughs> like never doing these things. Yeah, that's enough for me. So <laughs> it's another Ed song and a call to mediocrity. Yes. 
the classic call to not work too hard because in the long run, it's just not worth the aggravation. I will happily be mediocre. It reminds me of the line from The Simpsons when mm. Homer is talking to Bart and says, you tried and failed, Bart. The lesson is never try. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite parts of listening to Bare Naked Ladies is their use of harmonies mm. and they clearly can all sing and they do it well. To me, there just isn't enough of that in music anymore, like really fun, creative harmonies and stuff where people are just joyously making music. It's all very serious. And there's an element of fun here that's not like yes. too far over the line fun where it becomes parody and weird Al fun, but they're still happy about making music. And that I think that's there's not a lot of that anymore. I think a lot of that stretches back to their early days, too, because they started out... I don't want to say they were a comedy band, but they definitely had comedy influences. And in between the songs, they did a lot of very comedic banter Mm -hmm. and a lot of the, uh, the hip hop stuff that they did, the, the rapping things was done as uh, comedic bits. Yes. And in fact, they, um, they were very influenced by Corky and the Juice Pigs, another Canadian comedy They were kind of discovered by Corky and the Juice Pigs. because they, they sent them a demo tape, right? Yes. And then Corky and the Juice Pigs said, why don't you come on tour with us and open for us in like... Late 80s sometime, I don't have It's like 89, 90, me, yeah. Yeah. At, at the very beginning of the career, which is why Steve and Ed had to add additional members to the band, mm-hmm. because they couldn't just go out as a duo. Yeah. I think there's an element of that that's definitely lost. And even with, with them specifically, like the last couple of albums, there's not a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the songs are, they're okay. And, uh, you know, Heather and I saw them on tour and they're still fun live. It's still a fun show, but... There's an element, there's a part of that that, you know, where's the fun? Where's where's the good times and stuff and the good feelings? It all seems very serious now. And that, you know, it bothers me. You know, funny thing about this song is that I think it was actually directed at himself, at Ed. Mm-hmm. One of the lines, like you mentioned at the end, about get your PhD and get a job at Wendy's and be honored with Employee, yeah, of, the employee month. of the Month. Ed Robertson, Employee of the Month at Wendy's in July 1985. 1985. And to me, those are the jobs, those are the dues payers, you know? That's where we all learned that we had to work for a living, where whether or not, you know, you were working to survive or you're working just to have money to spend at the end of the week, we all needed to pay the dues. And for a lot of us, that included, you decided right then and there, you weren't going to do this stuff your whole life. Yeah. You're going to get the hell out of there. I was going to do something creative and artistic, and I'm not going to be the guy that, that has to wear a tie and sit in the meeting and do all that. I'm not doing that. And that song kind of tells that story of, you know, I'm not doing that shit, but like, I'm going to be somebody else. So there's a lot in there. Yeah. It's a good tune. I do kind of like too, that it's, uh, the line is like, I never had to work a retail job and tell people uh, what they they wanted to hear, buy something. Yeah. And I always think about that. I think that everyone should legally be required to work a retail job for six months and to be a waiter or waitress for six months. I think that's fair. I think that that should be like, you know how in uh, like Israel you have, you to, have serve, to be in the military? You have to serve in the military for like two years. I think in the United States, you should have to serve in the service industry. Absolutely. For, for two years. Or get the hell kicked out of you exactly. all the time. I, I think it would make uh, make this country a much better place. I'm with you. Who, uh, who needs sleep, Matthew? Well, I do, Kyle. Ed Roberts needs sleep. Oh, yeah. So earlier, Robertson, excuse me. earlier on the record, we had talked about uh, Stephen's ode to booze, mm-hmm. and now we have Ed's ode to insomnia. Ugh. 
<laughs> right? It's a terrible feeling. <laughs> it is a very depressing song. Uh, like I mentioned, he has a unique way of taking kind of this kind of normal subject and making it relatable and interesting and, uh, and depressing counting sheep and heartbeats and all the way insomniacs try to get themselves to go to sleep and all of it is a big fat waste because it's not going to work yeah and on top of that this is you know it's another song where it sounds if you just listen to it on its surface it's a very upbeat oh hell yeah yeah, yeah. then you look deeper into it in the lyrics and you're like oh god you can't get comfortable you know you're too hot you're too cold it's a disaster like I got the I got the covers on me because I to kick them off. Uh, screw it. Had an incident like that last night. Hmm. I just laid awake for like two hours. <laughs> I'm like, well, this sucks. <laughs> put the hurricane coverage on. I'm like, this will put me right to sleep. Yeah. Nope. I watched two hours of hurricane coverage. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. I gotta watch this up close. <sighs> there was a a tropical storm earlier this year that they named Kyle, and. Uh, <laughs> I got all excited because I was like, oh, what if it like totally destroys Florida? Ooh. Kyle destroys Kyle Florida. Kyle destroys. We want that headline. Yeah. Kyle right? destroys Florida. I want those kind of headlines. Kyle consumes record amount of semen <laughs> because he swept through a shipyard. Oh, yeah. That, that's why. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. I'm talking about the storm, not oh. me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Besides the obvious <laughs> stuff, it. It's a warning to people who do get a bunch of sleep. You could always end up as an insomniac. And he references uh, a guy who's been awake since the Second World War. Yeah. So I did some research. Guy was real. And while I couldn't find anything from the Second World War, Hmm. I found a name, a guy named uh, Paul Kern, who uh, was shot in the head and frontal lobe in World War I. And when he regained consciousness, he stayed awake after that for 46 years. Wow. Uh, other than the occasional headache, he was apparently fine because he kept his government job the whole time. And I know uh, there has to be some sort of brain-dead government joke in there somewhere. <laughs> but he tossed and turned every night and couldn't sleep and resorted to just closing his eyes for two hours a day. But apparently he was awake and responsive during those whole two hours, so he was not sleeping. Huh. So that's pretty crazy, right? I saw, yeah, I saw a quote. I wrote the song around the fact that I had a high school teacher in grade 10 who told the class that sleep was a learned thing. Uh, it was something humans had adapted because nighttime was dangerous. It was better to just huddle in caves and relax uh, for the night. Uh, he had shifted his schedule to where he slept for only about 45 minutes a day. He got so much more done. He showed us a story about a man in England who had not slept since the Second World War, which is where the lyric in the song comes That's from. That's crazy. Yeah. That is messed up. Right? Hey, you, you just learn it. What? So you can just unlearn it? You can just stop sleeping? You're fine? I can just not sleep. Yeah, you know, why not? The bullshit. So enjoy that sleep, everybody, because mm-hmm. not everybody gets it. Now, here's what that song sounds like right here. Well, you're never going to get it. Tell me what's that for? You're happy with what you're getting. There's a guy been awake since the Second World War. Well, you're never going to get it. Tell me what's that for? You're happy with what you're getting. There's a guy been awake since the Second World War. Oh, it's so oh, it's so aggravating. 
Because <laughs> that's exactly what you do. You start making lists of stuff to do. Yeah. And it's like, I should probably write this down, huh? No. I need to get up and do this tomorrow morning. This tomorrow. And didn't do a thing. And this. Well, oh, I forgot it all. Oh, no. Oops. But it's a, it's a fun song, though. It is. It's a good song. Better than the next one. Told you so. It's that argument that every couple has at least once. Go on. Yeah, the, I told you so argument. Uh, don't do that. It's going to hurt you. No, it's not. Ow! I told you so. <laughs> you son of a bitch. It's not one of my favorites on the record. It's one of those songs that just kind of lays there. Another sort of country twang to this one. Right. And if I was the kind of guy that skipped tracks on records when I listened to them, which I am not, I would totally skip. skip it. Lyrically, it tells the story of a friendship. I believe it's a friendship gone wrong because one of the friends keeps coming for advice over and over again, and the other gives it, and he doesn't listen, expects a different outcome. So mm-hmm. we've talked about this before. Uh, one of the things that uh, annoys me about people trying to interpret song meanings is when they go too far and believe it to be about something that it isn't, clearly. This song has been interpreted as being about AIDS, and Ed trying to advise his friend that if he continued to be promiscuous, he would end up getting AIDS. Huh. The evidence they have for that is the line, a viral infection that can incubate for years, and the fact that when Ed played this song online, he played it in a red shirt that had the R-E-D on it. And uh, huh. that's just too much to, for me. Because yeah. I saw this multiple times, and I'm like, no, no. This is, no, this is a song, it's about a friendship, and, you know, the virus is how many times he's helped him and is causing him to be sick from this lopsided relationship. It's not literal, not for me anyway. It's just like, you allow it to incubate. You allow this kind of poison, uh, this virus, to incubate in our relationship for years, and eventually, there's going to be a sickness in it. And I can only defend you for so long before it's just like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Like, everything has to have either a sexual connotation or something. I'm like, sometimes words are just what they are. Sometimes a banana is just a banana. It's just a banana. I do like bananas. Told you so. Should uh, my lack of notes should maybe speak to your uh, your fa- the fact that you didn't care for it? I mean, I, I, if I am honest... <laughs> well, that uh, is a good backup. I, 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 at some point, have probably listened to this album in the past. I don't remember anything but the hits from this album until I started listening to it again for this episode. Okay. This was definitely one that every time I'm like, oh, yeah, this song. What, uh, Told You told So? Told You So. Yeah, yeah. Is. Just, yeah. Let's get through this. Let's just get through it. Take some notes. Some Fantastic, though. Yes. Wonderfully subtitled. Yes. Ivory and Ivory. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the highlights from this record for me. This is a very good song. Uh, the background beat sounds like something that you would hear in a, a 1950s, like, infotainment-like Ooh. Why can't I think of what they're called now? Uh, the little short movies they used to show in like classrooms. Oh, not like a not a newsreel or like not uh, quite like you know Monsanto's House of the Future, <laughs> brought to you by plastic. Like a film strip? Yeah, sort of. Only well, not a film strip because it was an actual movie, oh. but short. All uh, right. Anyways, just the sort of that that plinky sort of background drum beat noise. I do love this song. It's a very good song. It's very much a callback to how they used to record and how they play live. I feel this song was probably born out of improv originally because some of it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and relate to itself. But it has Ed's quirkiness and it has Steven's darkness wrapped up into the parts 
they sing, but well, this is what I'm talking about right here. This is part right here. One day I will build a fountain, drink and never grow old. Then I'll market an elixir that will eliminate the common cold. Find your sickness on my lips. Pay up front and make a wish. One day I will work with animals, all the tests I'm gonna do. All my stuff's completely natural And when we're done we'll boil them down for glue That we can use to re-adhere Lips to mine if you were here There's a lot I will never do Some fantastic I know it's true But not as much as my want to be with you that was the reaction I was looking for, Randy. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Is that darkness like that? He just sings happily about turning every, turning the animals into Boil glue. Boil them down and turn them into glue. <laughs> so the music parts of it kind of harken back to what some of their stuff on their debut album, Gordon, sounded like. It has okay. this piano and this bass that are real playful and cool, kind of bouncing off each other. And I feel like if they had continued to make songs like this, I would still be listening to them hmm. today. But they didn't. This particular song was like one that that's what they sounded like. That's what Gordon sounded like. That's what really made me interested in the band in the first place. But alas, when you dream, Kyle. What the hell does a baby dream about? I don't know. Uh, that This opened a deep question for me. Is, uh, finding, I mean, you listen to it in the lyrics, you're like, oh, yeah, this is uh, about someone, a father watching a baby. Yeah, his uh, baby. Yeah. yeah. And it, it turned out, you know, obviously it's uh, Paige's son, uh, Benjamin. Correct. Uh, sleeping. First of all, it kind of reminded me of that song by a Childish Gambino, Baby Boy. Oh, yeah. Same, similar kind of a vibe, like, you know, a father singing to a son so that he can hear it off in the future. We covered that a while ago. Yeah. But then it it, it opened this whole question to me. So- Adults, when we dream, and children for that matter, when we dream, we dream about things that we already know to begin with, and then it sort of expands and becomes fantastical. Sure. What does a baby know? You know, even after the baby is born, but before they've really been able to, to Randy is suggesting breasts, <laughs> so babies dream about breasts, that's a possibility. But you know, before they've begun to develop in the first few months of their life, they can't really see in sharp detail, they can't really hear with any fidelity. You know, their senses don't really work. Touch kind of does, but not really. And so do they just sort of dream of what it was like in the womb? Sort of a warm heartbeat kind of a noise? That's what the that's what the song asks. I know. That's and, the question. And it opened that door and now I can't shut it. Well, what is it? What is what is my dog dream about? He's clearly laying on the ground dreaming because he's, he's twitching he's and he's chasing like, oh, something. Oh. Right. So does a baby just dream about a breast or uh, maybe or a mobile, like, flinging around Being above their head. Womb. Like, who the hell knows? We're not going to know, because all that stuff gets closed off after right? a point, which is part of the song. It says, yeah. you know, basically, that's it. We're not going to know. Is it possible the baby dreams of being a dog? Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. It's a strange closer for me. It is. It's a memorable closer, but it's a it's bizarre. I think it might also be the only song I've ever heard that uses the word fontanelles. Fontanelles, yeah. I don't know that there's another song. We, I'd have to. I'd have to do some research, and as you know, I suck at research. So Matthew should do some research. <laughs> I could do some research. So this album is still, you know, 
it's very important to me uh, because of where I was in my life when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved listening to it with my young son around the house, you know, when, when he was a little baby and it has some very special memories attached to it. But this is more or less where my kind of love affair with Bare Naked Ladies ended. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen them a few times over the years. I bought several of their records after this one, but nothing else really resonated like this record did. And when Paige left in 2008, some of the darkness that made them interesting also left. And when it's all just honey, it kind of loses its edge. And they've had, you know, middling success since then, actually having more luck with a children's album uh, Mm. they released called Snack Time. And they've released 10 albums since then, and they continue to tour. But unfortunately, I believe uh, their best days are long behind them. Hmm. But that... uh, that's stunt for me. There you go. Right? It's, uh... So, if you liked this episode and you want to hear more from Audio Judo, I encourage you to check out our Patreon account at patreon.com yes. forward slash audio judo, where you can subscribe to a couple of different tiers and get access to our bonus mini episodes called Judo Chops, where we take a lesser known artist and talk about them for a few minutes. As a reminder, we have episodes coming up about Garth Brooks, Billy Joel, Genesis, and Sting, mm-hmm. plus our annual holiday episode and best of 2020 episodes as well. Please come back and listen to us. Uh, send us your feedback to... Uh, info at audiojudo.com is probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. Sure. You can check out our Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash audiojudo, Twitter and Instagram at audiojudo. Uh, our website is audiojudo.com, and there are links to... All of those things on there, I believe. Yes. Uh, Also, if you want to get gifts, like T-shirts, wine mugs, face masks, golf balls, whatever, anything with our logo on it, please go to our website, audiojudo.com. Click on the shop button, and it will take you there. Otherwise, keep coming back every two weeks. Yeah. And we will continue to be here. Please do. Other than that, bye, everybody. See you later. fuck that up what i mean i had uh i had notes about one week (laughs) sorry sorry everybody you're gonna have to jump back in time with us it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 